In the temple, he found the people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of course, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned in their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father a house, house of marketplace. The disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume you. Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this. They believed the scriptures and the word of Jesus. This is the word of God for the people. Thanks be to God. One of the things about this story that you might be surprised to hear me say this morning that every time I read it, it reminds me of my childhood. Now, what kind of childhood must I have lived? For this one to be mindful, but I'll come to that. There's a lot of images, a lot of stories in this Bible that have um, resonated with me over the years. I'm trying to understand who God is, what's the nature of God. And one of the natures of God that we are probably not unfamiliar with is that of a jealous and an angry God. But we're probably not quite as familiar with and comfortable facing as well. What do we do with Jesus when he seems to be angry and upset? And we saw some of this in Jesus last week, if you were with us. There we saw the story where Peter was making some wrong choices and was not thinking as he ought to. And Jesus calls one of his favorite disciples, Satan. And because of his error and judgment, it was a little harsh. Today we have yet another error and judgment, a mistake that the people of Israel are making. Once again, we see that Jesus is not indifferent, nor is he dispassionate about such things. Even so, what do you think about a corded whip in his hand? Hearing that he enters a market and turns tables over and tables covered with money, he points, he flips and makes quite a sentence, obviously raising his voice, and this is not familiar territory, at least not for me. Now, in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, we see many images of, of God's wrath and anger and jealousy. Psalm 7 reveals that God is righteous as a judge. It says that God is, has indignation every day. What an image. Every day, God has indignation. And Romans 1 echoes this idea of God as well. For the wrath of God is revealed from the heavens. So we have Jesus entering the temple as he does, remembering him as Emmanuel, God with us. We might see here Jesus' willingness to be just as passionately against us in our errors and our unwandering ways. 
just as we have seen, were choices God's people inside God higher. We see some higher in Jesus today as well. Let's reconcile that, or at least think we should. If we're rightly understanding Jesus as one who stands between us and that nature of God, right? Jesus is the one who, in fact, stood between those with stones in their hands and someone false in sin. Jesus is the one who was asked, how many times should we forgive people? Seven times? Yes, he says, even 77 times. Jesus is still the one who says, if they strike you on this cheek, give up the other cheek. He is our advocate. He is our source of salvation. He is the, a temperament that we so desire to know. Even so, it seems that this does not mean that Jesus is any indifferent at all or any less passionate than God is in the face of our mistakes. So what is he so passionately upset about here? In short, it's the zeal for which they have to turn God's house into their house. A place that's meant for prayer, sacrifice, encountering the presence of the Holy One, he says now looks like a religious marketplace. But this market served the purpose and Jesus had likely come here every year of his life. He had seen the same scene every year. This, this was likely nothing new. Something was different this year. That is imperfect as we can be. Don't we always struggle to keep meaningful spiritual practices in our lives so that they don't become just business as usual? Maybe he felt things were business as usual. It's also possible that he was upset with the racket that was going on. See, folks who came to Jerusalem to sacrifice, well, they would come with offerings of wheat and doves and grapes and lambs. Some would choose not to travel with such items, and they could purchase them there in Jerusalem, so it was pretty nice and handy to them. Others may have brought items to sacrifice, but if they were blood and scarred, they were imperfect enough that they weren't deemed appropriate for sacrifice, and they could go and get an alternative to the sacrifice they brought. So, this marketplace, if you will, served a purpose. One of the problems was that many had Roman coins. Roman coins were unacceptable in the temple, so you had exchange things. If you ever traveled abroad, you know how confusing that can be. Exchange rates and all those things. So, at the currency table, out there money exchange, but it came with an extra cost, perhaps, or maybe inflated. Even so, these things are symptomatic, I believe, to the real problem. The problem here is that something meant to be sacred and holy is becoming something else. It's strayed away, they've strayed away somehow, and this time of ritual and worshiping God is in some way, so much so that Jesus is infuriated. He is consumed by anger. He has a whip in his hand. He's running merchants out, many of which would have been priests. I said earlier that this story brings me back to my childhood, and every time I read this, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One of them is a really fond memory. My uncle had a couple of hundred head of cattle. We would, we would go out and we would move them from one field that had been on for a while into another greener field. 
this story, I imagine Jesus rushing people out and tapping folks on the behind. Leave. It's time to get out of here. But whether they knew it or not, it was for their own good too. The story has one more purpose. And that's to remind us that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples pick up on this because Jesus mentions the zeal for the house which was soon painted. When he calls up in the marketplace, they remember the passage that is that Zechariah said that your zeal for the house which was soon painted. But Zechariah goes on also to say that when the Messiah comes, there shall be no longer traitors in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. What John is telling us is that Jesus. One consumed with anger is also the one who has arrived. He is the Messiah. This is a prophetic message. So, how are we as Christians today meant to interpret this story? How does this enter our own lives? Are there some tables in our lives? Are there some tables in the world? Are there some tables in the, the church abroad that Jesus might want to turn over? He enter into our presence and, and say, okay, it's time to move out of here. Time to go somewhere else. As uncomfortable as I might be to consider Jesus his passionate anger towards our barriers, this is the question. There was a time in Great Plains that when farmers knew blizzards were coming, they would tie a rope to the back of the house to the barn. Now the reason they would do this was they knew that in blizzards, in the height of a blizzard, they could last for hours, indeed days. One could only see a foot or two in front of them. It was well known and it was feared that many could walk away from just a few hundred feet from the home they lost. So they tied the rope from the house to the barn and they could go back and forth. Whether they could see or not, they knew how to get there to tend to the to attend to things that still needed to be taken care of. Likewise, you and I were meant to be connected to God. And sometimes, without even knowing it, we can find ourselves lost, vulnerable, compromising positions. And today's passage says not only that, but it matters to God deeply. It matters to Christ when we are lost in don't even know it. Dr. Palmer called this years ago living an undivided life, a life disconnected from one another and from God. And he calls this a different kind of blizzard. It's a blizzard that he wrote that swirls in the form of fear and frenzy, greed and deceit and indifference in the face of suffering of others. And it reminds us that we all know those stories some of our own, where we have wandered off. We've lost a little bit of our soul, but we've lost our moral bearings. And sometimes that happens to the people of Israel. Sometimes it happens to us and it happens within our religious institutions. And before we realize it, we are lost in a blizzard. We don't even know. You know, there's an old saying that says, all who wander are not lost. And I love that. Sometimes they are. Sometimes we can be. When this happens, God is not indifferent. 
God is worried. God is, is, is fearful for us. God is angry for us. And we see that even Jesus, God himself, feels such things. Isn't it hard to know that God might be angry with you? It is with me. It's even harder for me to, to grasp the fact that Jesus could be consumed by anger. No, Jesus doesn't storm into our lives not going to come crashing in the door with a whip in your hands, but when we choose to divide our life, Jesus wants to stand up, even against us, and between us and where we should be. Now, I said earlier, there's a couple reasons this reminds me of my childhood, and today I've got a piece of movie candy I'll share with you why I have this. I remember every time I read this story, I remember the very first time I felt what it was like to disappoint my parents. We went to the grocery store in Franklin. If you go into the produce section there, there was always this box of candy there. Yeah, see, head shaking, yeah, it's a red and white striped bin, and it was sectioned off in six or eight. That car was in there, and they had a bunch of these movies in there, and I loved these movies. So I asked Mom, as I always did, can I have one? She said no, and she moved right on. Really wanted one. So I took my hand, probably three or four years old, maybe five, and I grabbed one of those and I stuck those into my touch hands. And I was just thrilled. But when I found myself alone, I was going to enjoy this candy, but from every aisle, something increasingly became true and guilt that riddled me by the time we got to the car. Because I knew. That is not what Mama wanted me to do. I knew that she was going to be angry that she found out I did it. And perhaps it was the guilt, I don't know. I don't know if it was good judgment or not, but I pulled that piece of candy out and set the car. And I don't remember what was said. I do remember the look on her face. And the next thing I know, I'm standing in front of the store, who also happened to be the butcher, who had been working a long time in the butcher shop. And I'm confessing to him my crime. I remember giving that back. So there I am, four or five years old, standing in front of a mountain of a man in a really scared anger, confessing. But what I remember most was not the fear of him. It was the fear of my mother's anger in knowing how that I disappointed her was. Since then, I've learned that
perhaps it symbolizes this kind of love, one that doesn't ignore our sins. It also shows us a way to find our way back through grace and mercy. There are no tables. They cannot be turned up right again for Jesus turns over. And it's worth noting, I believe, today to know that the witness of Jesus' hand is not Oh, it's tempting. It's tempting to be heavy-handed and be harsh. But I've learned over the years that those things might satisfy me in a moment, but they don't last. And I don't know that I can ever know the heart of God enough to tell you that God is angry with you. The only thing I can say is I know that God is not indifferent. I know that God passionately loves, passionately loves you and I, even when doesn't ignore that. calls us to a different way. So, how might Jesus today draw us back towards undivided hearts? This week I ordered this candy, by the way. I ordered some of this. I had a fun piece of now I'm six. <laughs> Nothing less than a desire to respond to that deep body.